Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the final message of the Your Modern Family series. Now, today I'm with some of the guys in my small group. We're up climbing a mountain in Colorado. Hope I make it back. But I can't wait to start a brand new series with you next Sunday called Character Matters. It's based on a famous proverb in the Bible that says, Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Now, I can't wait to teach on this because this is the exact opposite what the, what we currently think. We think commit our plans to the Lord and then what we do will be successful. But scripture actually says you commit your character today, what you do today, and God will make you or help you to make successful plans and then you'll succeed. So beginning next Sunday, I'm starting this brand new series that's going to take us on a character tour through some of the great Bible characters and the key qualities that made their lives so successful. I'm going to have you wrestle with some questions like what would insecurity drive you to do? And is your courage collapsible? And have you lost your discipline? These are going to be great questions, and we're going to see these answers in the great characters of the Bible. So can't wait to begin. I'm looking forward to starting this series with you, and I know it's going to develop your character and lead you to a life of success. Now, today I've invited someone to speak to you that when I heard their story, I knew that this had to be part of the Modern Family series. What do you do when someone you love has let you down? What do you do when someone that was supposed to love you didn't love you? What happens when someone who's supposed to make it right may never make it right? How do you release them from your judgment? Pastor Brian Bigger leads our high school and middle school ministry here at Heartland Church. He's a recent graduate of Trinity Divinity School in Chicago. And when I met him a little over a year ago, I was just so impressed by his character, by his devotion to Jesus, and his love for students. He is literally winning the hearts of students all over our community. He's just back from our middle school camp where we had over 100 students impacted for Christ. And he's back here today, and I can't wait for you to hear this story from his life and what God wants to speak to you through him. Now listen up. He has got a word from the Lord, and I want you to take some notes, and I want you to listen because God is going to talk to you through him today. So Heartland Church, put your hands together. Give a warm welcome to Pastor Brian Bigger. Good morning. It is such an honor to be with you today. And as Pastor Darren said, last week we had our middle school camp. And it was a little different this year because we used to bring the middle and high schoolers together for camp. And this year we, we separated them. And I remember talking to Gloria, our middle school ministries coordinator, and we said, 50 would probably be a good number to shoot for. You know, there would probably be less students than last year. We're breaking them down a little bit. And I remember asking her, I said, what if we had 70? And she said, that would take the greatest move of God in our student ministries that we've ever seen before. And by the time we got to camp, we had 110 people be a part of our middle school camp. It was incredible. It was. And I got to give a special shout out. You know, the World Cup's going on. They have the golden boot and the golden shoe and the golden glove. I got to give a shout out to Green Team, the world champions of middle school camp 2014. And they walked away with the golden plunger of glory. <laughs> So good job, Green Team. Shout out to any Green Team people. But I just want to thank all the volunteers who took that weekend with us. They took days off work, gave up an entire weekend so they can invest in our students here at the church. And not only that, but I know you dads had to give up Father's Day with your kids a little bit. So thank you for making that sacrifice. We also, though, we had a handful of high school students who stepped up, and they were cabin leaders and small group leaders and did everything 
that our adult leaders did. And even in some situations, we had students who were only two years ahead of the students in grades, but they were leading them in their faith and really helping them grow in their walk with Jesus. And it was just so amazing. I'm just so proud of the students here at this church, and it was an incredible experience. So high schoolers, we got ours coming up. It's going to be good. You better sign up, okay? But I have to let you know, I had the most unconventional hiring experience here at Heartland Church, probably in the history of any church. My wife, Nicole, is not here. She's been in Florida for the last two weeks, and my diet has consisted of cereal and milk. It's been terrible. So if anybody's going out to lunch after this, I would love for you to take me out and pay. <laughs> Get a little diversity in my diet. But we were just minding our own business in Chicago, and we get invited to just this little informal kind of pastor's gathering at this house like an hour and a half north of where we were staying. And on the way, I'm thinking, well, we can't just show up there with nothing, so let's, let's do it right. Let's get a pie from Walmart at least <laughs> and have something to offer. And so we're driving up there, and we are literally one minute away from this house. And a car comes out 45 miles an hour and absolutely smashes into the side of us wrecks my car, and Nicole and I are spinning out, getting our bearings, and I open my eyes, and my car is filled with this goop everywhere. <laughs> and my, my first thought is, there is blood and guts everywhere. I'm checking for limbs. I'm, is there a pole through my chest? I'm like, Nicole, are you okay? There's blood and guts everywhere. And she's, she's like just getting herself together, and she's like, it's only pie. It's only pie. We're okay. So thankfully, it was only the pie, but somehow the pie was on her lap. Not one drop gets on her, and I took a shower in pie and was absolutely smothered in it. And nobody tells you this when you get in a massive car wreck and your car gets totaled, but you have to clear every personal belonging out of your car when that happens in front of the large crowd that's forming. And I failed to remove all of my embarrassing personal belongings from my car before this actually happened, so I'm taking out moldy cereal bowls and old smelly socks and workout clothes from my trunk. It was really embarrassing, and Nicole and I are stranded. We have nowhere to go. We're one minute away from this house, so we're like, well, we might as well just go to this thing. We got nothing else to do. We're trapped. So I get, I get my first ever car ride in the back of a police car, which is not as exciting as it sounds. and. I walk up to this house, all my embarrassing stuff, covered in pie, and the first person I meet is Pastor Darren. And he's so impressed by how I look and how I present myself that he offers me a job right on the spot. And here I am today. Didn't exactly happen that way, but we did start this amazing relationship, and Nicole and I visited Heartland a few times in the last, you know, as we were getting to know him, and we finally got to a point where we really knew God wanted us here, and Pastor Darren and Lurie have really made Indiana home for us. And I just want to let you know, I know a lot of us don't get to see Pastor Darren on a regular basis, but as someone who sees him in the office and how he lives his life, I just want to let you know, he is the real deal. I mean, I really don't know a man who loves God as much as he does, who loves this church so much. He just cares for his family. And it really is just such an honor to be under his leadership and be a part of this church. This really is a blessed church. And I know you guys know that. So... He asked me today to talk about this topic of what you do when a family member lets you down. And I'm not even going to pretend that I know anything about 
raising kids, the only thing I got for you is don't drop them on their head like my mom did with me, and don't, I mean, I really can't tell you anything about being married for 25 years, and honestly, even today's topic, I'm not even going to pretend to be an expert in it, but really all I want to do is share with you from my own personal experience and actually the key scripture that God used to help me in navigating my own kind of complicated family relationships. And actually, that scripture is in 2 Corinthians 5, if you want to turn there. I'm just going to read just a little bit of where we're going to be to give you a taste, and then we'll dive in in a minute here. And in 2 Corinthians 5, I'm going to start in verse 14. This is what it says. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And we'll talk about that. I'm going to go to verse 18 now. All this is from God who reconciled us, and that's going to be our topic for today, reconciliation. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just ask today that you would help every one of us hear what you want us to hear and give us the courage and conviction to do what you want us to do. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, working with students, I gotta give one more shout out to my students up there. How you guys doing? Good to see you. Okay. It's gonna be a rowdy crowd today. But one of the most common topics and themes for students is just kind of navigating family relationships. You know, students, they start to test the waters with their limits with their parents and, you know, discipline and disobedience. It's always a relevant topic. I worked at four churches before Heartland, all with students, and every time that was a hot topic. But I'm learning more and more that complex and complicated family dynamics don't just stop after high school. And sometimes the most difficult and messy family relationships even happen after that and can continue long after that. And I mean, it just makes sense, because if you think about it, the more personal a relationship gets, the more potential it has for pain or joy. It just makes sense. I mean, dads, this is why your daughter is not allowed to date till she's 30, okay? Because you know that punk 17-year-old with his beater car picking your daughter up for that date is just going to smash her heart into pieces, and you're going to be the one left picking up the mess, choosing your weapon of choice to take care of matters in your own hands. But, I mean, this is also the reason why your neighbor probably is not offending you deeply to the point of causing a lot of pain. I mean, maybe they don't cut their grass enough, and that's kind of annoying, or you live in Noblesville like me, and they have a mattress in their front yard and a truck without the tires on it on the driveway. But, I mean, I'm not deeply hurt by that. I mean, it's a minor irritation. But this same principle of relationships is why a couple can spend years building a relationship. And they get to a point where they decide they don't want to spend their life with anybody else. And they'll spend months and tens of thousands of dollars sometimes to prepare for this special day. And they bring the family together. And they're standing across from each other, looking into each other's eyes, saying, I do, and I will, and I don't want to be with anybody else but you. You are the most important person to me. And then three years, 
five years, 15 years later, that same couple is standing across from each other, signing along the dotted line of their divorce papers, essentially saying, this, pain, this relationship has brought more pain into my life than I could have imagined, and it would be easier to terminate it than to try and pick up the mess that's been created. I mean, this same principle is why if I even say the term mother or father, for a lot of us, our first feelings and memories are not of nostalgia and all these great things that happened as a child, but it's of pain and bitterness and regret because of what happened in our families. And as I was preparing for this message today, my dad and I talked a few times on the phone, and we both decided we really think our story could be helpful for a lot of people, because I know a lot of people have complicated family relationships. And so we talked about some of the details, and we agreed this hopefully would be very helpful for some people in this room today. And my story actually starts very typical. I mean, my family was just middle class, Chicago suburbs, mom's a nurse, dad's a computer engineer. And growing up, my dad would play this game with me called The Blob, which was essentially just him under a blanket, swallowing my sister and I under it. And if you're 30 and you're still playing that with your dad, that's probably inappropriate. But as a five-year-old, that game is awesome, okay? So we played The Blob, and my dad ran marathons, and I thought he was so strong and fast. And he honestly, he was like a hero to me. I looked up to him so much. And then right around seven years old, things started to change. And he sometimes wouldn't show up to stuff. He'd fall through on commitments. And my parents' marriage started to get real strained. And finally, when I was in fourth grade, my dad sat us down around the dinner table. And he looked my sister and I in the eyes and said, kids, your dad has a drinking problem. And I remember my mom crying and my sister crying. And as a fourth grader, I don't fully understand what this all means. But I'm thinking, this must be what's causing all this tension in our family. And I have this moment where I'm thinking, well, maybe it'll get better. You know, we're starting to talk about it. We're starting to be open. And it did not get better. Through some of the decisions my dad made and other things happening, our family started to spiral. And I remember in middle and high school developing such a profound sense of resentment and bitterness towards my dad that when I finally got to college, my first semester of college, my mom calls me up and she says, the papers are signed, it's done. And they had finally officially dissolved their marriage. And I had such a sense of relief come over me. That was such good news because the pain was finally over. And I decided in that moment that it would be easier to just cut my dad off and end that relationship than to try and pick up the pieces of what was a father-son relationship as a child. And while my story is unique, I know we can all at least understand and maybe even relate to sometimes the complex family relationships that form. And I mean, we all handle it differently. Sometimes it's just pure geographical separation. I mean, it's just easier to move out, switch towns, be in a different state. Being in the same room with the person is difficult enough, so it's better just to cut them off. But it can also just be an emotional separation. I mean, I think we all know you can be married to somebody and living in the same house 
and yet the relationship ended years ago. And it's easier just to keep a distance emotionally than to try and engage in some of those issues that have formed over the years in that relationship. And so what I want to do today is just share with you the scripture that God used in my own life in relating to my dad, and I really hope it's helpful to you. And we were in 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 14. And the thing I love about the letters to the Corinthians is Paul writes these letters to this church. He writes 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And this is the Jerry Springer church of the Bible. I mean, you cannot make up the things that are inside of this. This is why you need to read your Bible. It's way more interesting than reality TV or MTV. This is why I know the Bible's true. Nobody would put that in the Bible if they really wanted to. I mean, this church has issues. And in the first letter, Paul's just writing to him because this huge mess just starts between all the families and the church, and he's just trying to help them pick up some of the pieces. And then we get to 2 Corinthians, and the church has made some progress. So Paul's trying to encourage them and help them feel a little better. And then he's also trying to help them navigate some of these broken relationships that have formed. And he's going to walk them through what it looks like to reconcile with somebody and why it's so important. So he's going to start by talking about why does this even matter in the first place? And what does it really mean to reconcile with somebody? Because I think we sometimes misunderstand what that is. So starting in verse 14... This is what Paul says to this church. He says, for Christ's love compels us. And this, this, is what, this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, what Christ did out of his love for us is so powerful and so profound that it actually demands a certain response from us. He's saying, our options are limited because of what Christ did. We cannot just choose how we want to respond to this or what we think about it. He says, because of how amazing this is, we don't have a choice in how we respond. And so you're probably thinking, well, what is this love then that apparently requires me to do something? I'm glad you asked. As we read along here, in verse 14, this is what Paul says. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore, all died. And at this point, you should be confused because that's weird. And Paul's like, I know it's confusing. That's why I'm going to unpack it right now in verse 15. So he's like, what does this mean about one dying and now all died? What's going on? And this is what he says. And he died for all. And we can at least understand that's Jesus. He dies for us, forgives our sins. But this is where it gets interesting. He died for all that those who live, now talking about us, should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. And this is all Paul is saying. He's saying Jesus put all of his personal interests aside so he could put our best interests in front of him. And he didn't even just put his own personal interests aside. He went as far as he possibly could to reconcile his relationship with us to the point of death. And so now Paul's saying, if that's really true, the only logical response to this amazing news is to now live our lives for God, because that is so incredible. He's like, Christ's love compels us to now live a life in response to this love that God has shown us. We don't have any other choice. And I don't know about you, but this is not the part of Christianity that gets me very excited. I love that part where God does stuff for me and he forgives me. That's all great. But like when I have to actually start doing stuff, I'm like not as excited about that at all. But... Paul, the cool thing is, 
I don't have time to get into it. Pastor Jared said I only had four hours, so I want to make sure I stay inside my time. Okay? But in verse 16 and 17, Paul knows we're thinking this. Like, okay, I know you're probably not going to be too excited about this dying to all your old interests, and now you have to live to God. But here's the thing. When you really start living in a way where you're trying to put even God's interests before your own, you will realize that what God wants for you is really what you need, and it's really what deep down you really want for yourself too. So what Paul says is, it's a win-win. You don't lose in this deal. When you really start to follow God, you really experience the life that you really were meant to live in the first place, and you really want to live for yourself. So you can't lose in this deal. Now, that's not even the clincher of the verse that got me. We're going to get there, but I just want to make sure. Students, are you still with me? Good. We're good up there. Now, if your parents are confused, you can explain it to them later. They'll take you out to lunch and pay for it. It'd be good. Verse 18. All this is from God, this amazing relational reconciliation that God provided for us, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Now, I know we probably don't use this term reconciliation a lot. Maybe you go to the bank and reconcile a check. But all reconciliation is, is taking two incompatible things and making them compatible. It's taking two things that are opposed to each other and bringing them together. So for our high schoolers in the room, this is HSC and Fishers somehow coming together and being restored. I wouldn't say Carmel High School because nobody wants to reconcile with Carmel High School. Okay. Okay. Or for our middle schoolers, this is green team and yellow team somehow being reconciled from middle school camp, the greatest rivalry in the history of middle school camps. Or if you think of Democrats and Republicans, what kind of move of God would it take for <laughs> Democrats and Republicans? Probably not in my lifetime. I'm not going to get my hopes up. Or, I mean, I usually think like rap music and wholesome lyrics. Not usually something you put together. But what I think is probably the two greatest opposed things in the world would be country and music. Because we all know Jesus does not listen to country music. I got a verse somewhere that's another sermon. If you like country music, Jesus can still love you. But those are two incompatible things, okay? They need to be reconciled. Now, here's the thing, though. Paul just said, we've been reconciled to God, which must mean there was a point in time when our relationship with God was incompatible. Because why would we need to be reconciled in the first place? And what he's saying here is, and we usually don't like to hear this because we don't like to know that we're the ones causing the pain in the relationship because we know God contributed nothing to this incompatibility. It's all on us. But if, you, if you're really honest with yourself, and you read through the Bible, it talks about God being all truth. There's no deceit in him. There's no lies. And I know I've lied plenty of times, even just in the last week. Or it talks about God being love. He is the essence of love. He can only do loving things. And I would admit that I definitely have moments of hate towards people. Or it even talks about God being light. He has nothing to be ashamed about, nothing to hide. And I've got things that I would be very ashamed to share with you today and things that I would prefer to hide, darkness in my own life. I mean, it's like mud on a wedding dress. It just does not go together. But if the story ended there, that would be very discouraging. Thankfully, it doesn't. Paul says, even though we were the ones at fault, 
God still reached out to us in hopes of reconciling with us. Even when we didn't want it, he still initiated. And he didn't even just reach out. He went as far as he possibly could to repair the damaged relationship we had with him. He went as far as the cross so he could have a restored relationship with us. And it even gets better than that because in verse 19, it talks about God not counting our sins against us. Now, wouldn't it be terrible if God just had a little voice in your head that just to keep you humble, reminded you of some of the things maybe you've done just to make sure you don't get too proud. And just every once in a while, you hear a voice that says, oh, junior year of college. That was a rough one for you. I mean, I couldn't even have thought of some of those things that you did, but thank goodness I came and saved you because you needed that. Or summer of 94, what were you thinking during those few months? I just want to make sure you don't forget so you know that I came to help you out. I mean, I'm so glad God doesn't do that because I'd have a voice replaying in my head all day. But what God says is, why would I bring something up that I've already dealt with? I left that at the cross. Why are we even talking about this? Our relationship has been repaired. We're good. We don't need to talk about those things anymore. I've already taken care of it. And if that news isn't good enough, the next few words are actually the ones that punched me in the chest when I was reading this in college and thinking about my relationship with my dad. And this is what Paul says. And he gave us, talking about God, the message of reconciliation. Have you ever had somebody tell you some exciting news that you weren't really supposed to share yet? Like, I had two friends call me up recently and tell me about their plans to propose to their girlfriends. And they, have, they told me the time, the place, the details, helicopters and fireworks and all the stuff guys are supposed to do so they have a story to impress everybody. But I remember my first desire right after I got those phone calls from my friends was, oh, I got to call these girls up and tell them about this. I mean, this is too good. I wanted to come up and be like, it's amazing. Three weeks, Tuesday night, seven o'clock. He's got this awesome plan. It's going to happen. I'm coming to the wedding, whether you invite me or not. It's going to be great. Just because it's so exciting. It's such good news. I want to tell everybody. But I mean, I would never think of stealing my friend's thunder. And you would never share somebody's story like that in news until they got to do it themselves. But this is what's amazing about this is Paul saying we have the greatest message on the planet that God did everything in his power to repair this relationship with us. And now he gives us the opportunity to share this with other people. And we get this chance to share the best news with people and tell them that they can have this reconciled relationship with God and how it can absolutely change their life. And that's so exciting. But this is also the time when I started to get a sick feeling in my stomach. Because as I thought through this, I was like, okay, God did everything in his power so he could repair this broken relationship with me. He went as far as dying for me so this could happen. And now he's trusting me with this message of reconciliation. Then I probably need to model a lifestyle of reconciliation myself. How can I even share this news if I'm not even doing it in my own relationships? And I started thinking through the implications of this, 
in my own relationship with my dad, and I realized I can never get to a point where I give up on a relationship. I can never get to a point where I write someone off as a lost cause. I can never get to a point where I decide my life is better without that person in it. And so I'm thinking about this in college, and I am wrestling because I'm realizing the way I'm handling my relationship with my dad is not at all how God handled his relationship with me. And so I'm struggling with this, and I finally, finally get to a point where I'm like, okay, God, if you really were willing to go to the cross for your relationship with me, maybe I can take a step towards my dad in hopes of possibly just cracking the door open for a reconciliation process to start. And I took the smallest possible step you can possibly take, and I started with just phone calls on his birthday, and these were awkward phone calls, okay? It's just, hey, Dad, happy birthday. All right, I'll call you in a year. <laughs> and I mean, I finally upgraded to, if I was in town, I would give him a call and we'd catch up. And we actually, something that was very helpful for us was just tennis, because there's no drama in tennis. You just hit the ball back and forth. You don't have to talk. You don't have to deal with anything. It's very easy. So we just played tennis. That was very helpful. And I wish I could tell you today that it's all bunnies and rainbows and roses and everything, but my dad and I do not ride a tandem bike and go out for ice cream on Saturdays. We don't. There's still a lot, a lot of work to be done. But here's what I can say. God started a transformation process in my life through those small steps that I believe God gave me the help and courage to take. And I don't even believe he just started a process in my own life, I think he really has opened the door for my dad and I to really work out this process of reconciliation. And I remember calling him, getting ready for these messages, and we just wanted to make sure everything we said was good, and we wanted to make sure it was helpful. And I remember ending those phone calls and saying, Dad, I love you. And I can honestly say, I have never felt more compassion and a sincere desire for my dad's good than I ever have felt before. And I believe it was all from those small little steps that God helped me take in opening up this door for reconciliation. So as we close, I, I just want to make sure I clarify exactly what reconciliation is, because I think sometimes there's some misunderstandings. So let me just tell you what reconciliation is not, okay? Reconciliation is not fixing everything, okay? God gives us the ministry of reconciliation, not the ministry of changing people or getting everything resolved. He's just saying, hey, all I'm asking for is a step. You cannot change the other person. The situation may never fully be resolved. But here's what reconciliation is. It is just taking a step, and sometimes a small one, in that person's direction in hopes that maybe a door might open for reconciliation to start happening. 
And when I mean small, it could just be maybe just a text. Hey, how you doing? We haven't talked in a while. Email. Maybe it's just a postcard at the holidays, a picture of the kids that you send them, quick phone call. And I know what maybe some of you are thinking right now. Brian, if you think I'm calling anybody or emailing anybody, you got something else coming. If you knew what they did and what's going on and how messy it is, I'm not calling anybody. If this is what being a Christian is, then I'm going to go be a Buddhist or something because that sounds a lot easier than trying to fix this relationship with that person. It is way too messy. So if, if that's what you think, I, I just want to say, God's not asking you to die for the other person. Okay? He, he's got that covered. He did that part. He's asking for a step. He's just asking for a step. He's not asking you to change him. He's not asking you to even necessarily resolve the situation. He's saying just a step. And something powerful might happen. So I just want to acknowledge maybe a few thoughts that some of us might be having, especially for those of us with some more complicated family relationships. Okay? Some of you might just be thinking, Brian, it's too complicated. Okay, if you knew what he did, if you knew what she did, if you knew what happened, this is one giant hot mess of a situation, and it will never be resolved. It is just too painful and complicated. And this is just what I would say. Shouldn't that maybe be even more of a reason to start pursuing reconciliation? Because if you think about it, Jesus made no exceptions when he pursued reconciliation with us. It didn't matter what the situation was. It didn't matter who the person was or the severity. And honestly, the severity of the situation probably just motivated him that much more. So even if it is really complicated, I think that should even be more of a motivation to try and start that process. Now, I know some of you might also be thinking, Brian, I'm just not ready yet, okay? The wound's too fresh. It's too deep. I need some time to just get some healing and get my thoughts together. I'm just not ready yet. And this is just from my own personal experience. I can't say this applies to everybody, but from what I found is waiting longer does not necessarily make it easier. And in a lot of times, it makes it harder. And this was a clincher for me. You really don't know how much time you have. I remember thinking, if I ever permanently lost my opportunity to even try and reconcile with my dad, I would forever regret it. Because I really don't know how much time I have left with him. And now here's maybe one more thought you might be having, and I think this is the biggest one. Brian, it won't work, okay? It's just not going to work. If I try and reach out, if I try and say something, it's just going to do more damage. They're not going to be interested. They're not going to respond. It's just not going to work. This situation is never going to be fixed. And this is what I would say. You might be right. It may never be fully resolved. That person may never change. They may not respond at all to your attempts. It might even make it worse but this is one guarantee I can make about reconciliation. It always works on at least one person. And even if the other person doesn't respond and they're not interested and the situation never gets resolved, I can guarantee you that God will start 
a process in your own life. And you will never regret the attempts you made to reconcile with somebody because God will do a transformative work in your life. So I have one more question for you just as we close. Who is that person for you? Who have you given up on? What's that relationship that you've just written off as a lost cause? Who have you decided would be better off not being in your life at all? And I just want to make one little challenge. What's maybe just one step you can take in their direction this week to just maybe crack that door open for reconciliation to start happening? Because here's the thing. Christ's love compels us to pursue reconciliation even in our most damaged relationships. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Thank you so much that you don't give up on us. You never write us off as a lost cause. And you even went as far as you possibly could to reconcile your relationship with us to the point of the cross and death. You are the perfect father, Lord. You're the perfect parent. And I want to pray especially for the people in this room who have a name on their mind right now. They know they have a relationship in their life that's damaged, and can really use a step to start a reconciliation process. And I just ask that you give them the courage and the conviction to take that little step in the person's direction to maybe see a healing process start. And Lord, even if the other person doesn't respond or if it even creates more damage and the situation never fully gets resolved, I pray that you would prove yourself faithful and show us that following you and pursuing reconciliation can bring freedom and life and transformation. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.